Usually what I do on Tuesday nights is I preach through a book of the Bible, but we're doing something different this semester. We are doing a series on relationships. So why are we doing a series on relationships? Well, you have grown up in an age and are continuing to grow up um, in an age where there are lots of voices clamoring for your attention. Lots of voices telling you what to believe or telling you what not to believe about relationships and sexuality and marriage and singleness and friendship and sex. And my hope is that through this series, you will have a clearer understanding of how the Bible tells the story of relationships. And I hope that you will hear this as you figure out for yourselves what it is that you believe and why you believe it. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be reading um, from the book of Hosea. Um, This is printed on the back of your bulletin. Um, If you want to follow along there, if you've got a Bible, you can open to that. Um, But we are going to be talking about the story of Hosea. And and so I'm going to read that for us. Hosea is a prophet, or was a prophet, um, who lived lived in the 8th century B.C., so about 800 years, 750 years before Jesus. And um, a prophet was someone who spoke on behalf of God to God's people and told them who God was and told them who they were in response to God. So we're going to read um, from Hosea, some from the first chapter and some from the 11th chapter. So this is God's word for us tonight, and he gives it to us in love. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bari, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And then to chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Israel I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, And devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, thank you um, that you do speak to us through your word. And we pray that you would give us ears um, and hearts to hear it. Um, Spirit, would you come and speak? Uh, Lord, show us uh, your goodness and truth through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. So Hosea is one of the most extraordinary and most disturbing and most comforting books in the whole Bible. And we're reading it tonight because God gives gives it to us to help us understand how he relates to his people. 
And as we've been talking about relationships together this semester, um, we've seen a couple of things. First, we've seen that God has created us for community. He's, he's designed us for community. And we see this that in the first couple chapters of the Bible, that God himself is a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is a community of love, and that he has created us in his image um, as a community. We're created by a community for community. And then over the past two weeks, we've seen how sin has ravished us completely. How because of sin, all of our relationships are broken. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, even our relationship with ourselves. And if we are relationally created, and the fall is also relational, then it stands to reason that our salvation would be relational as well. And we get this. like We, get, we know deep in our guts that salvation, the salvation we long for, will come to us through a relationship. But it's not the way that we, we think it will. Um, I remember a few years ago driving in my car, listening to the radio, and hearing this, this strong male voice come across the radio. Um, I'm not going to sing it. I thought about it. I'm not going to sing it. Um, amen, amen, amen. Take me to church. You guys know what song I'm not singing? Um, the, the Hosier song, Take Me to Church. And I thought, hey, this guy's singing about church. This is cool. And then I... I listened a little bit longer and I thought, wait a minute, this song is not about church. <laughs> At least no church I've been to. And then, um, but the brilliance of the church and the reason that we resonate it with so deeply is because it hits this deep nerve that we all feel. That our, our salvation is going to come through a relationship. And the same reason we love that Bruno Mars song, um, Locked Out of Heaven. Right? You make me feel like I've been locked out of heaven. You bring me to my knees. You make me testify. You can make a sinner change his ways. Right? It uses the language of salvation, and it aims it squarely at romantic love. It takes this historic language of the church and says that the salvation that you long for, that thing that's going to fix everything that feels wrong inside of you, that's going to come to you through a relationship. And so here's my proposition for you tonight. What if he's wrong? What if Hosier and Bruno Mars got it wrong? What if your relationships won't save you? What if the salvation that they promise is actually a lie? What if marriage will not save you? What if even the best marriages will leave you feeling empty, empty at some point in your lives? And here's what I want to suggest for you tonight. Though marriage will not save you, you are going to be saved by marriage. Though marriage will not save you, you are going to be saved by marriage. But not an earthly marriage, a heavenly marriage. To say this another way, um, the way that Jesus is going to begin to repair the wreckage of your sin, the way that he is going to suture the relational chasm that is opened up between you and God, is by marrying you. And I don't know where your imaginations go when I say that God is going to marry you, but this is the way that God tells us what he's going to do. Marriage. And here's why. The reality of our condition is not only that sin has separated us relationally from our Heavenly Father, But it has made us whores. And God is going to marry us. And one of the places that we see this most clearly in the Bible is in the story of Hosea. So I said before, Hosea was a prophet of the Lord. So someone whom God spoke through to his people. And in the story of Hosea, what happens is God comes to Hosea and he tells him that he wants to set him up with a girl. I don't know how this went down. Uh, He says, you know, her name is Gomer and she's a whore. Um, So Gomer is a mess. We see in the first three chapters that she is defenseless against her passions. And while she and Hosea are married, she has three children. 
one of which is not Hosea's, and they named the child Noami, which actually means not mine. They named the child not mine. And in chapter 2, we see that Gomer leaves Hosea for another man. While they're married, she leaves and goes after another man. This man abuses her and eventually enslaves her. And then in chapter 3, we're told that Gomer and her family have begun to worship idols with these things that are called love cakes of raisins. Love cakes of raisins. What are these? Um, raisin cakes were the, the food used in the worship of pagan gods. So they, they were the food that was served at pagan orgy feasts. And what the first three chapters of Hosea show us is that Gomer has slept with everybody. She's a slave to her passions. She can't restrain herself. She's the woman that everyone goes to for short-term relationships. She's easy. She's desperate. She's a whore. And what is God's response to her? God says to Hosea, I want, you to, I want to set you up with this woman. Go marry this whore. So in chapter 3, Hosea goes to a public auction, and there he finds Gomer. She's actually a slave on sale at an auction block. She's probably stripped naked in the center of town as the crowd leers at her and bids on her. But Hosea buys her back. Not to enslave her, but to treat her tenderly as a wife. And he begs her not to go back to her former life. Now, I can't imagine what it felt like to be Hosea in this. Right? The hell that must have raged in his heart. What, why would God ask me to do this? He must have thought. But God answers his question. You and I, Hosea, we are going to completely give our hearts and lives to those who will reject us. We're going to spend our money and our time, our heart and our energy going after these people. We're going to throw away our lives in the pursuit of those who have abandoned us in the most painful way possible. Why? Because God is saying, I am a husband whose wife has rejected me. I have children that are rebellious and are killing themselves. And by having Hosea take Gomer as his wife, God is showing and telling him as loudly as he can, this is how my heart works. This is how I treat my people who have run away from me and have hoarded themselves out to other gods. And in calling Hosea to marry Gomer, God is saying, you need to marry this woman to understand whom I've married. You need to marry this one so you can experience the wife I had. Because the whoredom of God's people is just like the whoredom of Gomer. See, in Genesis 2... We see that God created man and woman to reign as kings and queens over the earth, to submit to God's loving lordship, and to extend his love and care over all creation. But as we've seen the past couple of weeks, Adam and Eve looked for their love and for their purpose away from and apart from God. And the result of their sin and the fallout is far worse than we care to admit. That's what God is showing us through the book of Hosea. Do you want to know what your sin has done to you? He's saying you're chasing after other loves and neglecting your true husband. Your idolatry, our idolatry, your worship of other things is spiritual whoring. And then in Hosea 11, God shifts the metaphor and says our rebellion is like rebellious, runaway children. These children are screwed up. They're rebellious. They're enslaved in Egypt. They're worshiping idols. They're destroying themselves. And God tells Hosea exactly how he feels. He's saying, I found this little boy in a foster home. I brought him home. I gave him everything. And now he rejects me. And not only does he reject me, but he's destroying himself as he runs away. So how do we expect God to respond to Israel's sin and rebellion? Right? How do we expect 
Hosea to respond to Gomer? How do you expect God to respond to you? I remember when I was a kid, um, these old cartoons, I don't know if these were on when y'all were kids, but where there was a character who had a decision to make and there's like a puff of smoke and then a little angel would land on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. Did y'all have these cartoons? We could, okay, good. I'm not that old. Um, and so a little angel would appear on one shoulder and a little devil would appear on the, uh, on the other. And whatever decision the person had to make, he would listen to the little angel, give him one set of advice, and he'd listen to the little devil give the other set of advice. And sometimes the little angel would win, but most often, right, the little devil would win out. And as a kid, I always thought that the angel represented God and that the devil represented, well, you know, the devil represented the devil. But do you guys remember what these voices said? Um, The voice of the angel always told you what you should and you shouldn't do, right? The voice of the angel kept score and knew what the consequences would be. The voice of the angel was the law. Don't steal, don't lust, don't cheat. And the voice of the, the devil was the voice of license. The voice that said, there's no score to keep. The voice that said, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter in the end. The voice that says, you think about others too much. What do you want to do? Go do that. Right? The voice of the angel was the voice of punishment. The voice of the devil was the voice of permission. The voice of the angel was the voice of the law. And the voice of the devil was the voice of license. And my guess is that many of you hear these two voices whispering to you when you're alone. Or as you agonize over the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you. The angel's voice, in a way, is a conservative voice. The voice that says, people need to be held accountable. When you make decisions, you must reap the consequences. People never grow into adulthood unless they learn from their mistakes. Let the consequences teach. Responsible people learn from their consequences. Right? This is, this is logical. Responsible people make good decisions. People must learn from their mistakes and the consequences or they'll never grow into responsible maturity. Right? That's the conservative approach. The conservative approach to the whore would be, listen, sorry things went that way for you, but you have to deal with reality and the choices that you've made. You will never enter into maturity until you deal with the consequences. But God's approach is not the conservative approach. And God's approach is also not the liberal approach. The liberal approach would be something like, you probably had a really hard home life, drug-addicted parents, don't know what made you this way, but I'm so sorry. And I can't presume to know how hard this is for you. I'm never going to judge you. It's okay. I can't blame you for what's happened. The liberal approach is, let's not blame anyone. But neither of these voices is the voice of God. This is not how God speaks to us. This is not how he deals with us. This isn't how God deals with us, but we are secretly both conservative and liberal in how we deal with our sin and the sins of others. Right? Sometimes the conservative voice gets loud and it whispers to us, you need to pay back God for your sin. So we pray, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I've caught in this, I'm not, now I know I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get back in favor with you. I'm going to go to church, I'm going to spend time reading my Bible, I'll go to RUF, I'm going to get my stuff together so I can be in your presence. And, you know, we're, we're secretly conservatives, but we're also secretly liberals we, when we deal with our sin. The voice that whispers to us, it's not that big of a deal. There are bigger sins out there than, than what's going on in my life. You deserve to be a little selfish. So we numb ourselves to sin. We try to justify it to ourselves and others. But neither of these voices are the voice of God. God doesn't take the conservative or the liberal approach to dealing with our sin or for dealing with the whore. He doesn't make her pay, and he doesn't say you're not responsible. He takes a third path that is both confounding and beautiful. The way that God deals with the whore is that he marries her. And if we sit in this idea for a little bit, we'll begin to feel how unsettling this is. 
Right? We'd so much rather move past this. This is so uncomfortable. Why is this so uncomfortable for us? Well, first, I think it's uncomfortable because God is holy. God is perfect and righteous, and he demands perfection and righteousness from his people. How can he marry a whore? But it's also uncomfortable for us because if God marries whores, then what does that say about us? This offends us because we don't think we're whores. We're not willing to use that language to describe ourselves. Because we use that sort of language for other people, right? Other people with bigger problems who can't get their lives together. People who make bigger mistakes than us. This reveals two things about us. First, it reveals that we still think we're good. And when we think about our own sin, we think, well, it's not that bad. Sure, we're a little guilty, but others are worse. And second, it reveals that we don't understand God's grace. Because we're trying to find the goodness inside of us that makes us worthy before God. Trying to establish something of our own righteousness before the Father. But look at how God responds to his people. Look at how the holy God responds to his whoring people. Look at verse 8 in this. Um, Look at this with me. Verse 8. It sounds like God is crying. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Ephraim is the poetic name for Israel. How can I give you up? My heart recoils within me. This word recoil is one of the strongest possible words God can use to describe his inner emotional state. It's a word that's also used to describe the destruction and overthrow of a city by an enemy. God is saying, I am torn to pieces. How can I give you up? God is saying that he's shattered inside. And then in verses 9 and 10, he says, I will not give you up, but I will roar. I will roar not in a way that destroys you, but in a way that brings you home to me, trembling and softened. I will make you my children again. Now, what is God talking about here at the end of verse 10? What is this roaring? What God is saying is that there is a lion coming, the lion of the tribe of Judah. God is saying that through Hosea, he's saying through Hosea that Jesus is going to come. And when Jesus came, he died on the cross, and at the very end of his death, All of the Gospels draw our attention to Jesus' lips, where he, as he died, he cried out. In a loud voice, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? It's a big question with a long answer, but tonight I want you to see from Hosea, I want you to see what it is that Jesus' roar accomplished. When God roared in Jesus, he married a whore and began her healing. This is why God made Hosea marry Gomer. Hosea had to marry her. He couldn't just be her friend because being her friend wouldn't have worked. Being friends with someone like Gomer would be too hard. All right? After the third night of staying up until like 3 a.m., listening to her problems, you'd be done. Right? You'd block her number. You'd ignore, you'd ignore her texts. Why? Because you're only friends with her because you're trying to be nice. You weren't really bound up in her problems. Her problems weren't really your problems. But if you're married to her, If you're married to her, then her problems become your problems. Her wounds become your wounds. Her despair becomes your despair. Here's what God is doing. He's saying to Hosea, unless you're married to a completely broken and rebellious person, you will never know what it is like for me to relate to you. This is crazy, but this is the gospel. This is what God has done for us in Christ. This is what God does for us in our salvation. He marries us. He marries you. And in marrying us, he binds his joy up with our joy. What this means is that God will not experience unmixed joy again until we stand before him, holy and happy and perfect. He is that committed to you. 
The book of Jude, which is a letter in the New Testament, ends with this benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Whose joy? God's joy. God will only know perfect joy when he sees us perfectly happy and perfectly holy. And then God's joy and laughter will roar through the universe. The prophet Zephaniah predicted this. He says that in that day, God will rejoice over us with singing. He will quiet us with his love. He will surround us with shouts of joy. God will sing a song over you. The song you were made to hear. And the wholeness and the fullness that you long for will be found in that song. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the pulse of the gospel. Christianity teaches that God marries the sinners he saves. And he is so committed to you that he binds himself up in your life so that neither he nor you can escape. This is both terrifying and delightful thing about the gospel. It's terrifying because God is not going to let you go until you're holy. And it's delightful because God is not going to let you go until you're holy. So what does Hosea have to do with our relationships? What does this have to do with your dating and your marriage and your sexuality? Oh, here it is. You were made for this marriage. And you have to be married to the right person, to Jesus, before you can be married to another. This is at the heart of all of your relational struggles. If you want healing and wholeness in your relationships, the only way for this to happen is to first be married to Jesus. Fellas, I know this language is weird for y'all, but this is how the Bible deals with it, so you're you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, And unless this happens... Unless you commit fully to Jesus, your relationships for the rest of your life will be filled with anxiety and insecurity and pain. And by way of application, I just want to say two things. First thing is that you can't date God. There are no casual relationships with God. You have to come to him with total vulnerability, which means that he would have access to everything in your life. He is all in for you. If you ever wonder about God's commitment to you, his love for you, his passion, his persistence for you, look at Jesus. Look at the lengths that God went to for you. And he did this because he's committed to making you holy. He's committed. He has bound his life up in yours. He's committed to making you holy, not just parts of your life, but the whole thing. See, the Bible begins with a wedding. We see the wedding between Adam and Eve. And then the Bible tells the story of his people's spiritual whoredom and adultery. And God's faithful, jealous pursuit of his people in love. To marry his people and to make them beautiful. Why did God the Son take on flesh in the incarnation? Why did Jesus Christ walk the earth? It's to buy back his bride from death with his blood. And the Bible ends with a wedding. The wedding between Jesus and the church. And how are God's people described there as a holy city, a new Jerusalem, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband? This is the work that God is doing, making his people holy for all eternity, because he loves you. So if this is your story, if you're a Christian, it will save you massive spiritual headache if you establish in your heart that he is the only one you will follow and no one else. And that what he says in his word is absolute and fixed and is your guide and authority in all of life. And in regards to relationships and in the future to your marriages, because the gospel demands our vulnerability before God, it demands the same with each other. Because when you get married, your spouse has total access. You will not be your own anymore. 
You will have to live your life in reference to another person from now on. And this is the hard part of marriage. There will be times in your marriage when you feel trapped. I often tell the story when I'm doing premarital counseling. I actually do it like six months after a couple that I've married. Um, I, I ask them, hey, have you felt trapped yet? Because um, I remember this. I remember the moment. Sorry, Mary Clark. I remember the moment <laughs> where I was walking from the kitchen um, into our bedroom in our first apartment. And I walked behind our couch. And I was paralyzed with fear. And I felt trapped. Um, and it passed. But I didn't let that feeling dictate um, our marriage. But I felt it. Right? There are times in your marriages where you will feel trapped. And here's the truth. If you go into your marriage to get your needs met... Or to change the person you are dating into what you want them to be. You don't have a marriage. Guys, if you go in with this posture, you hope to marry a sex slave. And girls, if you go into marriage with this posture, you hope to marry a heart slave. And the second application is that the story of Hosea and Gomer teaches us that love is not a feeling, but an action. You need to stop defining love for another person in terms of how you feel about them. Because when you face the hard times, you're going to feel... You're going to fall into one or two different undesirable marriages. Either you'll check out, you'll think, this is not what I signed up for. Your marriage will get hard, and then the emotions will come and go, and you'll be tempted to find your worth in your job or in some other romantic relationship. Don't do it. Love the person you marry through their shortcomings. Die to yourself for them every day. So either you'll check out or you'll try to change them. When you discover that the person you married isn't perfect, you will try to change them. You'll nag, you'll argue, you'll put them down, you'll disrespect them. Don't do this. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And God refuses both of these as options in his love for you. What does God do? He transforms you by neither quitting on you nor compromising. He is neither a conservative nor a liberal. He is your husband and he is crazy about you. What God is showing us through Hosea is that he could have exercised his power and taken a slave for a wife and had slaves for children. Or he could have let them go and rejected them. But instead, he took the costly way. In Hosea 3, we're told that he bought her. He bought her. The night before he was crucified, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he was sweating literal drops of blood as he said, Father, is there any other way that we can love these people? And God said, no. What was going through Hosea's mind? We could reject them, Gomer and the kids. Or we could just be indifferent and let them kill themselves in their own sin. Either way, they are destroyed. But Hosea submitted to God. This is the only way. And Hosea leads his wife away and says, I don't want you to be a slave. I want you to be my wife. God says at the end of our passage that he is going to roar and bring his children home. And that roar is the great roar of the cross where Jesus paid it all. The Apostle Paul tells us that you are not your own for you were bought with a price. And then Jesus in John 15 says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And there's no greater love than this. A man laying down his life for his friends. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the love of God that is on offer for you in Jesus. Let's pray.